Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this portion of your holy word. These are hard words to hear, as you are the one who searches our hearts. You are the judge of all the earth, and you will do what's right. And you have laid out to us, revealed to us, your law, your will, both in Scripture and in our hearts. We do desire to be right before you, to walk uprightly in your presence, to follow you in the way, the narrow way that leads to life. And so we ask, Lord, that you would enable us, again we pray, enable us to have a teachable spirit this morning. Do not blow off or ignore or excuse or anything like that, but that you may grant unto us humility as we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, that you may be glorified. We ask, O Lord, that you would work in our hearts also, that you may truly make us more like Jesus. We ask this now in his name. Amen. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the most quoted Bible verse in the world today? Okay, someone says John 3.16. That's the first note I have in my, in my uh, notes here. And the answer is no. Okay, how about love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? Is that quoted? That's not really quoted so much. That's not one. How about this one? Judge not, lest you be judged. Is that the one scripture that non-Christians know and like to use against Christians when Christians stand up and say, this is wrong? And the first response is, who are you to judge? The Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. Why is that so? Why is that verse come to mind and people use it? Well, the reason is, is because you are expressing an absolute. And everybody knows there's no absolutes. It's just your opinion. Or you're trying to impose your power upon me. Are they correct? If they are, then guess what? You and I are guilt, guilty of being presumptuous. You understand that? If we are expressing our opinion on something our as the law, as the truth, as absolute truth, and it is not so, we're presuming to be the judge. And so, in a sense, they are saying, judge not. You don't have the authority to do so. As I've been considering our text this morning uh, or this week, uh, that, that term presumptuous sins has been ringing in my ear. Uh, that's a good way to summarize this particular passage, verses 11 through 17. But isn't it true that, in a sense, all sin are presumptuous sins? Don't we, when we sin, presume either that there's going to be no effect to my sin or that it's not really sin? I presume to judge what is true and what is not, or what is good, and what is evil. Isn't that true of all sin? It is an assuming our, of the deity or the ability to judge that belongs to God. 
And so I think there is an element of truth that we can be presumptuous. And James is concerned about that. He's writing to us. He's writing to the people of God. And he says, be careful. Be careful what you do, how you judge. Be careful how you speak again. My main point is there. How easy and how often do we fall into the trap of assuming more authority than God has allotted us? On the contrary, he calls us to loving, humble submission to him, which becomes evident in our loving service to others. If you note in verse 6 of chapter 4, he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Verse 10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So my question to you this morning is, are you clothed with humility? Scripture talks about that. Is that an attribute of you? What's the opposite of humility? Pride. I. I know I. We're called to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Loving, humble submission to him. Does that characterize your life? If somebody else outside of you looks at you, would they say, you're a humble man, you're a humble woman? Would they? Would that be the testimony? James has been working on us, if you will. He's been challenging us. He started off in chapter 1 talking about that God cares about our faith, and so he tests our faith. Various trials and temptations come into our lives. He says, count it all joy when you fall into him. Be it why? Because God is making us more like Jesus. Later on in chapter 2, he speaks about love, the royal law of love. And what does he talk about? He talks about doing God's will, the law. In chapter 3, he then focuses on the use of our tongues. So he goes to the mouth and he says, how is it that you use your tongue? It's a deadly thing. It can bring life and death, blessing and cursing. And then in chapter 4, last time we met and we looked at the first 10 verses, we looked at this self-centered desires. He strongly rebukes them and he gives us the solution in verses 6 through 10 to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And so that's where we've been. Now we come to verses 11 through 13, or actually 11 through 17. But the first point is there in the bulletin, the temptation of presuming to be the judge. That's 11 and 12. Let us read it again. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren, He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? 
presuming, remember presumptuous sins, presuming to be the judge, through speaking evil of one another. Now, this is not the first time that James has addressed this problem. It must be important. It must be something that is found among the brethren. We find it in chapter 1, verse 26, chapter 2, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1, and following, and chapter 4, verse 1. What we say reflects what's going on down here in our heart. But in particular, his focus is uh, judging others according to our opinions, speaking presumptuously as a judge. There's an example of that that I find fascinating. If you want to follow, it's in Numbers, where the people of God presumed to know and to do something which God said not to do. It's in chapter 14. You're familiar with the uh, 12 spies going into uh, the land of Canaan as Moses and the children of Israel are traveling. And Moses sends the 12 spies into the land and they come back with a great report. It's just like God said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. At least two of them said that. But the other 10 said, yeah, but there's giants. And so they reject the command of God by unbelief. And then God says, okay, fine. You're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You're all going to die. And your children will go in. But then we see in chapter 14 that they say, no, we're going to go up. Chapter 14. Then Moses told uh, these words to the children of Israel and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, here we are and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised for we have sinned. And Moses said, now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? This, uh, For this will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwell in the mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. So here they presumed to fight the battle of the Lord when God said don't. Here we see an example of their own opinion, judging according to their own opinion. And the results were disastrous. So what are the types of presuming to be judged? One is assuming that you know the motives of someone else. Have you ever, are you ever guilty of that? I know why you did that. You ever said that? I know your heart. Now, we don't normally say that, do we? But do we assume that we know why they did it? I'm not talking about what someone else did to you, but why did they do it? Do you know infallibly why they did it? Do you? Do they know why they did it? Sometimes they don't know let alone you and I, 
But yet we tend to judge our brother because we assume to know why. Another type is inflated self-opinion or pride. This is a dangerous sin of pastors. This is a dangerous sin of elders. This is a dangerous sin of everyone else. We all must deal with pride. Like I've said before, what's the middle letter in pride? Here it says that if we do so, we are rejecting God's law, God's law of love. Remember that love is caring and concern about something outside of yourself, something or some people. We're called to love our neighbor as ourself, to care for them. And so the danger is an inflated self-opinion or pride. So here's my question, reality check. He says, do you judge? If you do so, you judge your brother, you are condemned by God's law and ultimately by God himself. You have assumed his place. Is that what Adam and Eve did? Did they judge God when they took of the fruit? And the answer is yes, they did. Satan said, God's not fair. Are we in danger of that? You fail, and notice also he says you fail to do. Verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. We can justify ourselves by not doing the law by judging someone else. This is James thinking. It is dangerous. One commentator says it this way. Speaking evil of fellow Christians is wrong not only because it involves judging the law, it is wrong also because it involves judging the neighbor. And this critical contemnatory judgment involves both disobedience to the man that we love our neighbor and an arrogant presumption on the rights of God himself. Yet when we criticize and condemn others, we are in fact pronouncing our own verdict over their spirituality and destiny. This charge shows that James is not prohibiting the proper and necessary discrimination that every Christian should exercise. James's concern is jealous, censorious speech by which we condemn others as being wrong in the sight of God. And again, is this just a problem that was happening with the original recipients? Do we have that danger? Thank you. We do. Notice I picked on myself first, pastor, and then I picked on Dan, elders, and then everybody else. Right? This is a danger that we have. Presuming to be the judge. In summary, the basis of all sin is presumption of deity. Isn't that an interesting thought? The basis of all sin is I am God and I determine what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. Is that why we are called to hate our sin? 
because our sin is a hatred of God. So God calls us to repent. Secondly, in verses 13 through 17, there is a presumption of being sovereign, being the sovereign. Again, notice what it says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. That's a presumption that you're not going to die the next moment, isn't it? We're going to go do this and then we're going to go do that. Jesus said there was a fool who said, hey, I'm rich. I have so much, I can't contain it all. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns so I can store all the goods that I have. And a voice from heaven, from God, said, fool, your soul is required to you today. There's no guarantee that you will live through the rest of this day, is there? Anybody here has a guarantee that you're not going to die? Guaranteed. You know that you're not going to die. You don't have that. By the grace of God, we continue to live and move and have our being, but we have to be careful to presume that we can do whatever we want to do. That's sovereignty. We're the sovereign. It's another type of presumptuous speech. Notice that. Boasting in the future and our ability to do anything apart from God. I can do this. I can handle that. That's presumption. Reality check. God is sovereign. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Now, I think most of us have that in our language. I think we've learned that, right? That we, we, we actually say that. Because, well, the Bible says it. So if the Lord's will, I'm going to go do this and do that. So we do say it, and that's a great thing. Do we mean it? Or do we just say it because that's what you're supposed to say? Is God sovereign? If he is, it will affect your speech and your actions. God's evaluation of this speech is arrogant boasting. So again, does God have a solution to this problem? The answer is yes. Again, our verses 6 through 10. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I need the grace of God. Do you need the grace of God? Do you want more grace? I want all the grace I can get. I want God's involvement in my life more than it has been in the past. And he says, God gives grace to the humble. The one that says, I ain't got it. I can't do it. I'm unable. I'm not sovereign. I'm not God. Help. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Draw near to God and he promises to draw near to you. What happened with Saul? He walked away from God. He tried to play God. And Samuel says, the Lord's not with you. The people of God went to go up and fight. And Moses said, the Lord's not going to go with you. Don't go up. Draw near to God. 
This isn't just a command for Sunday morning, is it? Is it a daily call? Is that what God is calling us to do, is draw near to me? And he promises, and I will draw near to you. What a great promise that is. That is phenomenal. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Again, another promise. If you humble yourself, he'll lift you up. If you exalt yourself, he'll flatten you. I don't know about you, but I've been flattened by the Lord before. I don't like it. It's not fun. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Praise God for that. So God calls us again to humility, to his grace, how we need it. So third point, God alone is the sovereign judge over all things. Again, here's the solution. We're not sovereign. We're not the judge. Is Jesus sovereign? Is Jesus Lord? Do you confess him as Lord? Is he the judge of all the earth? Has the Father committed all judgment into his hands? The answer is yes. Jesus is our lawgiver. There is an absolute standard, and all men will be judged by it. There is no excuses. Is that a good thing? And the answer is yes. Therefore, we are not presumptuous to say that that is wrong to the world, and that is right to the world, because God says this is wrong, and this is right. It's not presumptuous to hold true to what God has said. He is the only lawgiver. And he is the only judge. He has both might and right. He is the judge over all men and all things. The Lord wins in the end, doesn't he? There will be a great white throne judgment. And all mankind will appear before him. Bible teaches that. Uh, Revelation chapter 20 and other places. It will happen. Will those that appear before him say, well, according to my opinion, I'm righteous. You need, you need to accept me. Will that fly in the face of God? The judge of all the earth, will he do what's right according to his standard? The answer is yes. He, is, he has all might. He has all right. He is sovereign, and his call to us is submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Repent, confess your independent spirit, and trust in Christ as the wrath-removing sacrifice for your sins. Do you understand that? Do you believe it? That Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. He is the king, and he is the one who loves us. Submit your thinking and your speech to God's word. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, what are we called to do? Therefore, because of the mercy of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which is well-pleasing to and... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the word of God 
And so again, I'll end with verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Don't just say, but be a doer of God's word. Amen.